0: You're listening to a Sunday service podcast from First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We're a faith community committed to racial justice, a place where we practice a deep and authentic welcome, where we listen deeply to where love is calling us next, and a place where with humility, courage, and compassion, we act for justice in the world. To learn more, please visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org. Good morning and welcome to all of you joining us for worship this morning. I'm Reverend Justin Schroeder, one of the ministers at First Universalist Church. And wherever you're joining us from, whether it's live right now on Zoom or watching on YouTube live or listening later to the recording or a podcast, whatever it might be, we're really glad you're with us. Welcome this morning or welcome on your walk, or whenever you're listening. If you're with us live, you're invited to say hello in the chat, as many of you um, have do and are doing, just to say, hey, um, good morning. Here's where I'm coming in to worship from. That's always nice to get a sense of this community kind of gathering from around the state and really around the country, and sometimes around the world, so you're welcome to do that. We are a faith community that is committed to dismantling white supremacy culture, really all supremacy practices, and building beloved community, this place of thriving and flourishing and real deep belonging. Um, That is what we're about as a faith community, and that is the life we invite you into when you are a part of this faith community. And if you're interested in becoming a member of First Universalist, you can sign up now for our Pathways to Membership class, which we're offering next Sunday afternoon, April 11th in the afternoon. There's no residency requirement to be a member of First Universalist, so we welcome all of who you are wherever you are. Links to everything I've mentioned are in the order of service, which we'll put in the chat now so you can find all that information. I also want to do just a, a A little reminder this morning that as many of you know, we're in the middle of our annual giving campaign right now. And as Reverend Jen shared with the congregation a few weeks ago, we are hoping to raise $1.3 million for the operating budget that will begin on July 1st. This budget will help us um, transition back to in-person worship and in-person programming in the fall, and it will allow us to build and maintain and really enhance the online ministry that we've been doing over this, this past year. We know that so many of you connect with us online and will want to continue doing that, and so that is a key part of what this budget is about. We are a congregation of about 1,100 adults, so an average annual gift of $1,200, that's about $100 a month per adult, means we can make this budget. We can create the vision for our life together as a faith community next year. Of course, some of you I know can give more than that, and some of you will give less than that, And, and that is just fine. What really moves me is what we're able to do together, what we're able to do collectively. So thank you if you've already set up your annual gift. If you haven't yet, uh, please make your annual gift by Sunday, April 18th. We'll put a link um, in the chat about giving us also in the order of service, I believe. And then Then come celebrate the wrap-up of this campaign and what we're able to do together for our ministry. Come celebrate on the 18th, Sunday the 18th, from 1 to 3 o'clock. I'll be outside the church building. Other ministers and staff and the annual giving team will be outside the building. We want to give you a small gift of thanks for your support, and we want to give each other the gift of our presence to actually see one another and be with one another. We'll be masked and physically distanced. We'll have safety protocols in place, but come by between one and three on the 18th as we wrap up this campaign. We can offer one another the gift of our presence. So now let's take a moment just to connect across time and space, to take a moment to really settle in, to settle our bodies, to find that shared breath, that shared inhale, and that shared exhale. And I invite you in a way that works best for you to join me in taking three deep breaths. You can settle your feet on the floor or rest your hands in your lap, whatever works for you. And we'll take a couple of deep breaths together.
1: join us in saying the words for the lighting
2: of our child. Love is the spirit of
1: this church, and service is its law. This is our great covenant, to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth
3: in love, and to help one another.
2: Hi, I'm Lauren Wyeth, your Director of Children, Youth, and Family Ministries. And I'm going to tell you about something I learned at preschool about 15 years ago. No, I was not the preschooler. My son Ames was the three or maybe four year old at preschool. And I was taking him there one morning. And as we arrived, we were right in time for my lesson. So as the gate latch closed behind us, we headed over toward the sandbox, which was always Ames's favorite place to be. And there were already several kids there, busy building a landscape of hills and houses with a trickle of hose water, carving a river through their little sand village. And one child was just completing this tremendous feat of engineering. She was digging through a packed mound of wet sand to construct a delicate bridge over the river. And as she finished, she leaned back to admire her work And another child tromped over to check it out. And then that child very deliberately raised his foot clad in this big yellow rain boot. And it felt like what came next happened in slow motion. The bridge builder and Ames and I watched as this boy brought his boot down in the middle of the bridge and smashed it flat splashing sand and water in the girl's horrified face. And the boy made just a huge mess of the scene. And you could see his satisfaction as he pulled his boot out of the sucking mucky sand. There was a beat of shocked silence. And then the builder wailed loudly her body rigid with disappointment and anger and her sandy wet hands trying to wipe wet sand from her eyes. Well, my immediate reaction then, and I admit this to you now, even though it's not something I'm really proud to share, my immediate reaction was to wanna march over to the boy and tell him in no uncertain terms that he had done a very bad thing. Someone needed to teach him a lesson, and I felt it needed to be soon. But the crying had already summoned the preschool teacher, and she was on her way. So I held back, and I waited for her to deal with the boy. The teacher instead made a beeline for the little girl. Her attention fixed on the little one's sadness and sandy face. And I nearly interrupted to tell her, hey, that little boy over there, he's the one that did it but the teacher paid me no mind. She knelt down and she used her gentle hands to wipe away the sand from the girl's eyes and get it out of her hair and off her clothes. And then with a concerned look on her face, she just stopped and watched and waited. And every person in the sandbox, in fact, stopped their work and watched and waited. And the boy, the boy in the big yellow boots, he watched and waited too. Eventually, eventually the girl's sobs subsided enough that she might be able to talk. And the teacher said, that was really upsetting. And the girl nodded. And the teacher said, you're feeling a little better. And the girl answered, "He broke my bridge. And she pointed to the boy and the boy stood several feet away, looking quite worried. And the teacher said, oh, how disappointing. And he got sand in my eyes. Did we get it all out? The teacher asked. And as they checked to be sure, the boy moved closer to see. I want my bridge back, the little girl said sadly. I'll bet you do, the teacher answered. Sounds like you're pretty sad about that. And then they were sad about it for a minute together. The boy peered at the girl. At this point, he was looking over the teacher's shoulder, and he looked pretty sad too. What do you need, the teacher asked the little girl. I need for nobody to stomp on my stuff and nobody to get sand in my eyes. Mm-hmm. Do you want to tell him that? The teacher asked her. "Mm." The girl kind of shrugged. So the teacher kind of scooched around until she was kneeling behind the little girl. And then the children were face to face. And the teacher said to the girl, do you need help saying it? And the girl kind of straightened up and she looked straight at the boy And she said, I didn't like that. And the boy said, I'm sorry. And he sounded sorry. I don't want you to stomp on my things, she said really firmly. And the boy said, I won't. And you knew he meant it. You knew it was a promise. And both their bodies relaxed. Better, asked the teacher the builder, she nodded, the boy, he nodded. I felt myself nodding too. It was better, so much better than it would have been if things had been up to me. All these many years later, I'm still learning. I'm still learning from what I saw that day. I'm still learning not to rush to assign blame and put my faith in punishment and retribution as the answers to something gone wrong in the world. I'm still learning to rush to the one who is hurt, to hear them and to have their back, to trust the power of speaking the truth and to have faith in the possibility of repair and reconciliation. The world is more complex than a preschool sandbox and lessons that we learn there are going to need some adaptation to this more complicated context that we might encounter as we grow. But I don't think I'll ever be too old to appreciate the brilliance and the wisdom of a really great preschool teacher.
0: Friends, it's Easter Sunday. Happy Easter. It's a day so often celebrated as a day of new life, of rebirth, of resurrection. For Unitarian Universalists, most likely not literal resurrection, but a resurrection of the spirit, a resurrection of hope, a resurrection of faith and possibility. It's an ancient holiday coming out of pagan rituals that mark the turning of the season from this time of winter and seeming death to fertility and new life, the landscape turning green out of the brown old winter. But this year, even as the season turns and even as we catch a glimpse of a new post-pandemic life coming into focus, Easter feels complicated. My body recognizes spring and the chorus of birds singing, but it's a pandemic spring still. There's so much uncertainty. And then there's the the trial, the trial of Derek Chauvin for the murder of George Floyd. The world is tuning in and it is not clear how this will unfold. There's so much uncertainty. Like many of you, I've been watching some of the live stream of the trial, hearing the accounts of the eyewitnesses, the trauma they live with, the trauma they experience, the trauma that is ongoing. It has been difficult to take in, I know for many, many of you as well. And so mostly I've taken to just reading about it in the paper and online. And it has been heartbreaking to watch the defense try to put George Floyd on trial, or try to put the witnesses and the bystanders on trial when it is Derek Chauvin and the Minneapolis Police Department really that are on trial. So given this backdrop, given this trial, given this week with the world watching, Minneapolis in this case, The text for today, the text for Easter, for this Easter Sunday, is really the trial. The text I want to look at and hold up as we explore what resurrection might mean in this moment is really what is happening right now in our community in this moment. As the trial unfolds and this murder is replayed again and again, told in story, seen in video. I keep thinking about the Roman Empire, this imperial power that used state-sanctioned violence and brutality to maintain that power. Specifically, they used crucifixion, a gruesome way to publicly execute those who threatened the power of Rome. Crucifixion was a demonstration of state Dominance. Now, in the American empire, our history is that far too often for Black people, for communities of color, for indigenous people, for poor people, for people on the edges of society, our history is that policing is a show of the strength and the violence of the state. It has been and is still used as a way to threaten or control a black or indigenous or people of color population and to maintain white supremacy culture and a racial caste system. Remember, remember that Philando Castile was stopped by police 46 times. That is about maintaining control over a black body. That is about surveilling a black body, and that happens to many, many of our siblings of color. Philando Castile was stopped 46 times by the police before he was murdered by them on the side of the road. Maybe you see where I'm going this morning. In ancient Rome, crucifixions happened near public roads and thoroughfares where the crosses and those on them were lined up alongside the road, where thousands would walk by and be reminded of the murderous power of the state. These ancient public displays said, in essence, to those with less power, to those marginalized populations, they said, know your place. Don't talk back. Keep your hands visible at all times. Don't get angry. Don't try to change the status quo or the hierarchies that exist. If you challenge the dominant authority, the state, this will happen to you. What happened to George Floyd was like a public crucifixion. This is the backdrop for Easter, this trial and this context of state violence and oppression. This is the context for Easter. And if we go back 2,000 years to the life and ministry of the teacher, Jesus, we see that he knew the dangers of challenging Rome, challenging their power, and he still did it. In his ministry and actions, he proclaimed that Rome's leadership and those who acted in concert with Rome's leadership, they were corrupt. He proclaimed that Rome's sense of justice, Rome's morality and their their sense of rightness was completely compromised. He proclaimed that too many people had aligned themselves with the benefits of the Roman empire and they had forgotten the mandate to love their neighbors and to love life and to work for justice. Jesus, the teacher proclaimed that this mess of a world 2,000 years ago, was coming to an end. That's what he preached. And a new season of God's love, God's justice, was about to be ushered in. Jesus was preaching that another world was possible, a world in which the hungry would be fed, that the last would be first, and that no one would die handcuffed under a police officer's knee because of a counterfeit $20 bill. Jesus was preaching that this old social order, this caste system, would be upended and a more just world would be ushered in. That was the message of this teacher, Jesus. And just like the story that Lauren shared with us early, just like in that story, Jesus did not put his faith in violence, in punishment, in retribution. He centered and spoke on behalf of those most impacted by injustice. He walked and knelt and moved with them, just as that teacher moved to that little girl who had experienced the harm. Jesus confronted empire with loving, nonviolent, disruptive, direct action. And doing so cost him his life. But the Roman Empire miss calculated. The Roman Empire miscalculated because the vision and the message of Jesus didn't die with Jesus. It has been reborn countless times since in human hearts. It has been reborn in people who realize that they too can embody love, can confront empire, can fight for a flourishing world for all. That spirit cannot be crucified. And that spirit is alive still, maybe more alive now than in in the past. In this moment, in these years, that spirit is alive. It is alive. It is alive in football player Colin Kaepernick, who confronted the American empire with nonviolent direct action. In 2016, Colin Kaepernick and other NFL football players started kneeling during the national anthem. As Kaepernick said, I am not going to get up to show pride in a country that oppresses black people and people of color. There are bodies in the street and people getting paid leave and getting away with murder. And I'm certain that Colin Kaepernick knew also that Francis Scott Key, the author of the Star Spangled Banner, the what we know as the National Anthem, he knew that Francis Scott Key was a slaveholder and Francis Scott Key believed in the superiority of white people. He knew about the verses of our national anthem that we don't sing. Confronting the American empire and police brutality by kneeling during the anthem brought death threats and cost Kaepernick his job as an NFL quarterback, but he was right to call out the hypocrisy of the American empire, the so-called land of the free. He couldn't stand for a hymn or a country that told a lie, a lie about freedom for all when that just wasn't true. And that's what empire demands. Empire demands that we live a lie. White supremacy demands that we live a lie. Empire demands that we know our place and the place of others and then maintain those structures of oppression. Empire demands and sanctions punishment and violence to maintain that system. And empire says, this is how things are. This is the way it is. This is. Is how it will always be, period. But the story of Easter and the story of people and communities that confront empire reminds us that another world is possible, another way, another life is possible. And it's not without risk, but it is possible. When the old ways are confronted or the tools of empire are subverted, something new and transformative can emerge and can be born. Resurrection is possible. And so now this morning, we're gonna have an embodied musical experience of that reality. And I want to invite our incredible artist in residence, Amy K. Bryant, to share just a little bit with us this morning about what we're gonna hear. Amy.
4: Good morning, everyone. Uh, So you're about to hear the words to the Negro National Anthem, sang in the tune of the Star Spangled Banner by the Give Gets It I wish I could take credit for this genius idea, (laughs) but we are inspired by a jazz singer in Colorado named Renee Marie, who was the first person to create this arrangement, at least as far as I know. So what you're going to hear is our version. It's a, a sonic version of Kaepernick kneeling on the football field. It is our artistic confrontation to American nationalism as it is, um, you know, put on a pedestal in terms of our, our constitution and our anthem. We feel that if if you have more reverence, if the song is more sacred to the citizens than the lives of the citizens themselves, then there is a disconnect between the reality and the notion of a land of the free and a home of the brave. And so the song is about a battle and it's about the victory after the battle. And it kind of sets up that, okay, now America is established, but the battle for our country's identity and for our character didn't end with that victory. And this song is our intention to march on until victory is won. So now take a listen to Lift Every Voice and Sing, sung in the tune of the Star Spangled Banner.
3: Lift every voice and sing, till-
0: that I don't have the words. Uh, It's just the feeling of what is possible when there's an honest confrontation with the mythology and the truth, when there's an honest reckoning with who we are as a country, and that song just lands that possibility for me. So thank you. Thank you for the joy. Thank you for the possibility of a new telling of this country and a new reality in this country. I don't know about you, Julica, but that' just like what? every That's... time I hear that piece it um, yeah. really so thank you. So I, I'm not going to preach any more sermon right now. What I wanted to do for the, the last few minutes of our time together is have a conversation with you, Julica, to, to talk about what it might mean for us as a community on this racial justice journey, to think about resurrection, to think about the practices of resurrection, to think about the practices we might engage in that help more life and more flourishing, that help new life break through these stale, stuck, old places where new green shoots might emerge. So I wanted to talk about the practices of resurrection and what that might look like in our community. I wanted to do that with you. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. Thank you for inviting me into this conversation. And thank you for the message that you just offered. And Amy, thank you. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I'm especially grateful for this idea that this is our turn to challenge empire. This is the way that we get to look at the way that this is just how it is. This is the status quo. And your, your reflection, your message and the example of Colin Kaepernick, and the example of the gift gets us that is is, is, is it really like, is, is that, like we, we have the possibility to do things differently if we let ourselves stretch for it. And we need a faith community so that we know that we're not doing it alone. That's what is inspired in me from your message. Like in order to challenge empire and in order to challenge the status quo, we need to feel like we're doing it together. It's too big by myself. I can't do it if it's just me by my lonesome.
0: Yeah, right? you know I, that that really resonates for me what you're saying. I I, I want to share with you and I guess the congregation my thinking around Easter has really changed from this sort of individual the miracle of a, of a resurrection that 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 is true, that there are moments in our lives where we feel spiritually depleted, where we feel exhausted, and at the end of anything we can imagine, we can do, and somehow new life comes back to us, somehow that miracle of resurrection happens in our own lives, and I've thought about that as something that is not about anything we do, that's the miracle, that it just happens to us. But what you're saying and what I'm feeling more and more clearly is that there's actually something asked of us as people of faith to to till the soil, to begin to build the relationships in the environment and have the conversations and engage in our community in a way that prepares us for the possibility, for the miracle of resurrection. That it's not just something that happens individually, but there's a communal dimension and a kind of holy work we do that readies us for that miracle of resurrection.
1: Yes, yes, thank you. Thank you, because it's not a miracle that happens magically without us, and it's not an individualistic heroic act that makes this possible. It's actually this communal space where we trust, where we lean in, where we take risks together without without having the full plan of how is this going to work? We don't know. We don't know exactly what's going to work, but we know the next thing we need to do. Yeah. And that makes all the difference.
0: I think that that's right. It's reminding me that part of the work maybe of communal resurrection or what what helps till the soil is when we can let go of our desire or need to control everything, when we can let die uh, some of our fear maybe, or let die some of our discomfort, or let die the sense of we know how this story goes, or we can let die some of the Lessons of empire that we're still carrying with us, the ways we've been shaped and kind of put that to the side to let some of those old things die to enter into the space of new imagining and new possibility. And and I know you're doing some of this actually with the the abolition work, abolishing the police and defunding the police. And I will say when I first heard those expressions, it was like, what? I had some discomfort and and I was like, what is this about? And some of that was empire, and some of that was my own need to learn more, but you've been teaching us as a staff and you've been leading these circles. And so I wonder in the context of resurrection and new life, if you might talk a little bit about these abolition spaces and these circles you've been leading.
1: I would love to, thank you for that invitation. And I, first of all, want to lift up Denise Conan and Bianca Zick who have really created a fantastic process. So the the abolition circles are a six-week process of conversation where we explore together these ideas and these concepts around abolition. And um, Denise and Bianca, thank you so much for creating a spiritual space that meets people wherever they are. That's the thing that we do in faith community, is we engage this learning process wherever we are and ready to do the next part or ready to learn the next thing, discover the thing that we don't know that we don't know which is what you're describing Justin when you're saying maybe i just need to let go of something a little bit maybe maybe the the miracle is a miracle of imagination like i had not thought of it that way or hey i had not recognized that possibility or i had not challenged myself to see it from this completely different place and now i see something that i didn't see before or i understand something that i don't that i didn't before and that work is very spiritual and personal and that needs to happen in a container of healing and love and that's what we create for each other in these circles and in this community of communities we are in this work together so that we can hold each other through the part that's uncomfortable so I'm, i'm very excited and thank you liz for sharing the um the link in the chat it's also in the order of service I invite you all to sign up for the next round of conversations, which will be beginning in a couple of weeks at the end of April. And I want you to give me a really good problem of not having enough facilitators. I I want a lot of people to sign up, please. I welcome you there and um, other facilitators in First Universalist have volunteered to support this process and I'm super grateful. Thank you so much.
0: And, and I think what I would what I would say, I'm so glad you're leading these circles and so grateful for Denise and Bianca to help with the curriculum is that coming in, I invite you to come into these spaces just open and curious live that part of our faith this desire to discover truth as it unfolds and that responsible search and meaning and to do that to come into these spaces open. Because I think having a conversation and learning about the rich history of, of pol- abolishing the police or ch- reimagining the carceral system and the prison industrial complex and punishment and retribution, reimagining all of that and reimagining what real community safety looks like, just having that conversation and holding space for that conversation is a direct attack on empire. It's a direct attack. On white supremacy practices that would have us say, "Well, of course, we have to have the police always and forever. That's just the way it is," but that's not the way it is. A new way is possible. Something else can be born, and so we want to invite you into these abolition circles. And Julek, I think you had a poem that spoke to this possibility, know, yeah? A poem that
1: captures this this work, and so thank you for for. Um, Teeing me up for that. This is Spilling the Light, and you've heard me share it before because I love my colleague and friend Teresa Soto who has such wisdom. And this is their poem, Remembering the Future. Can we develop the skill of remembering the future? Can we commit to build the community that will extend into a time that we only know by memory because it will outlast us? Memorize the compass points of the day yet to come. The truth, the love, the fire, the endless yes of the horizon. Shake the scales from your imagination. Reach, stretch, rise. There is no more time for pretending that everything can be all right without your care without your attention. You can mourn, grief being more real at times than the promise of the sunrise, more real than the peace of the moon that by inconstant silver turns, disappears. And yet, while we may mourn changes, losses, deceptions, and betrayals, beneath the ash, we find the ember. We weep, and then, as we have learned from labor movements, we organize. Remember the day toward which we gather, the tomorrow toward which we advance. It is with your actions today that you engage that muscle memory, that sense of smell, the ragged velvet feel of a day that you have never lived. It is also your day. Remember it well. Amen.
0: Our closing words come from Indian activist and author and organizer, Arundhati Roy. She writes, our strategy should be not only to confront empire, but to lay siege to it, to deprive it of oxygen, to shame it, to mock it with our art, our music, our literature, our stubbornness, our joy, our brilliance, our sheer relentlessness and our ability to tell our own stories. Stories that are different from the ones we've been brainwashed to believe. Remember this, she writes, we be many and they be few. They need us more than we need them. Another world is not only possible, she is on her way. On a quiet day, I can hear her breathing.
1: Yes, remember this we be many and they be few they need us more than we need them another world is not only possible she is on her way on a quiet day i can hear her breathing yes we can amen amen Hmm. And so as we prepare to leave, I am going to sing you out live. So forgive me in advance if I'm a little off key. Here we go. Join me, please. Let's stay muted in, um, in singing Go Now in Peace. Go now in peace. Go now in peace. May the spirit of love surround you everywhere. Everywhere you may go.
0: Thank you, Julica. Friends, there's a lot happening after our service, including Fellowship Hour for all identities and for our Black, Indigenous, People of Color community. There's our UU 12-step recovery group, and a lot of other things are all listed in your order of service. And now, as we extinguish our chalice and end our time together, we do not extinguish the flame in our hearts. May that flame of justice, that flame of commitment, that flame of love, burn brightly until we are together again.
5: Lift
0: every voice and sing,
3: till earth-
6: With the heart.
0: Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting our ministry. Text FIRSTUNIV, that's F-I-R-S-T-U-N-I-V, to 73256 to make your gift. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org.